And the best wholesalers I see are ones that have the renovation cost down to a science because they can walk into it on the front end when they're negotiating with the seller and they can talk them down on price because the logical part of, I tell them very honestly, I say, you know, me buying your house, I'm going to have to renovate this and make a profit. If I don't win, you don't win. I have to, I can't buy this at cost and then, you know, not make money on the end. So if I'm honest with the, the seller in the beginning, I can get a discount and then I can build my assignment fee if I don't want it into the discount. Welcome to Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here is your host, Annette Talee. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Talee, and my guest today is Mario Lancioni. Welcome, Mario. Oh, thanks for having me in that. I'm excited Super to be excited here. excited to connect. Super excited to connect. So let me tell you a little bit about Mario. He is crushing it in real estate. Uh, he started investing in 2015 while working a corporate sales W-2 job uh, over $250,000 per year. In 2019, he left corporate America and went full-fledged into real estate investing. He owns over 100 rental properties with his brother Santini while completing about 30 plus flips in five years. He also started an unsuccessful construction company last year, which nearly put him bankrupt during COVID. What a lesson. Let's talk about that later. <laughs> Absolutely. Over, over the past six months, he has actually scaled back on rentals, heavily invested into wholesaling with his three sales reps and leading the charge. Wholesaling has also led to a lot of inroads into multifamily, commercial, single, and multifamily. Wow, amazing. So tell yes. me, Mario, how did you get into real estate? I got into real estate from my brother Santini. So even though he's three years younger than me, he's always actually led the charge into pushing me into doing something that I may not want to do. <laughs> so real estate was one. And uh, he came across the multifamily when we were working our corporate sales job. And uh, we just talked about like, you know what, we can make over $1,000 a month on this rental property. And we ran the numbers um, at the time because it was very easy because it was a turnkey triplex. And it just made sense. So we, we invested in that one. We saw the cash flow come in. Thank God we inherited three great tenants. And it just felt so easy when we made $1,000 a month. So we're like, let's, let's continue to, to do this thing. So we kind of slowly, while working a full-time job, just kept adding one uh, multifamily after another. Uh, when we say that, it was uh, a triplex and under. So it was either a triplex or a duplex we added. We never did anything uh, grander than that. So uh, yeah, so we started adding that. Then we started shifting a little to single family homes and poof, here we are today with all these rentals, but we just really systematically just kept pushing the ball and moving it down the field and adding one rental after another. And we didn't really look at the number, how many we had it was our insurance, uh, the person who brokers our insurance out for our homeowners. He sent me and my brother an email one day. He's like, hey, congratulations. You eclipsed over 100 plus rentals, but we weren't really keeping track of it. So it was just us keeping our head down and working hard. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And so at what point you said, OK, I'm just going to leave my job and go full gorilla on this? So it was actually very ballsy of us to do this. So we left a, a gushy W-2 job where we had two years left on a guaranteed 
payout contract. Uh, my brother and I were both making $250,000 a year. We were actually a partnership within this organization. So they paid us out very handsomely. It was like a pro athlete contract. So we kind of gambled on ourselves. We felt uh, there was a, a point where we were uh, doing pretty good in the rental space. We had about 25 rentals, maybe a little bit more. I can't remember the exact number, but we uh, we talked. My brother, again, comes back to me and he says, Mario, why don't we just, uh, you know, actually take a take a gamble on ourselves and and go full time because we'll scale faster. Um, he's like, you know, I know we're not going to bring in as much income, but he just said, I'm not happy. And for a younger person to, to say that and uh, getting himself into an you know, uncomfortable situation to scale, uh, we decided to take a leap of faith. And we, we really uh, trusted our instincts and all our contacts. We really felt confident. We knew how to do the birth strategy. Uh, we had all the right pieces in place with our, um, our private lender, um, hard money lender, um, investors we had. So we just felt we had all the right tools in our tool belt at that particular moment to, to, to take a, take a gamble on ourselves. So we, we did, and it, it paid dividends, but we realized when you work for yourself, you work way harder than working for an uh, employer. And uh, you know, we were working probably a hundred plus hours a week. I think I still do it to this day. I'm just ingrained that way. And um, but it felt different because it was, it was us. Uh, we were able to put our name on the office, which was like one of the most proud moments for me to keep our last name, you know, out there. And I loved it. And uh, it just, it's a, it's a nice feeling to actually own your own business. And that's what it able, it, it allowed us to do by, by taking that risk two years ago. Awesome. Amazing yeah. story. And mm -hmm. now you have the legacy, right? Like your name is going to be there. Uh, which is awesome. Yes. Yeah. The deal. Yes. All right. So what deal are we going to talk about today? So the deal we'll talk about today was a, a wholesale deal I found by cold calling a homeowner. And it's, it was a duplex, which uh, the woman initially wanted $70,000 for. Uh, do you want me to get into the, the numbers? And yeah. So, so let's, so for the people that don't know, uh, can you explain what's wholesaling? I see. Okay. So wholesaling is essentially when you go directly to the homeowner or customer. So essentially it's a person that owns a house and you are trying to negotiate directly to them without a realtor involved. And by doing so, you cut out real estate commissions, closing costs. Um, so you can buy it directly from them at, uh, in theory, a discounted price. Uh, when you get the property, a traditional wholesale deal is you're going to connect them with a buyer who would be an investor. And by doing so, you make a commission by um, building yourself into the deal. It's called an assignment fee. So if you get a property for 50,000 and you assign it for 75,000, you'll make $25,000 by kind of being in the sandwich between both parties, if that right. makes the most sense. Find, you basically find the deal for somebody else to buy it, but you put it under contract and then yes. you assign the, the contract to somebody else and then that Find that person will be the final owner. Yes. And it's a great, it's a great way, like an entryway into real estate investing, because if you don't have money, you don't need money to assign a, a contract to someone that does have money. <laughs> so um, wholesaling is great for, I'd say, new, new, new people. Um, for me, it was, a, it was an advantage because I already have investment properties and I just wanted to get a property direct at a discount. So it was a natural fit for me especially with my sales experience, where all I had to do was tweak some things. And it worked out pretty quickly for me to uh, understand wholesaling and get into it. And also, 
keep the best deals for myself. So the, the whole premise of wholesaling, first and foremost, were uh, for Santini and I was the best deals we have access to and we can keep. And if we don't particularly love it, or if it's a, a fix and flip, we don't, we don't want to get involved in, we have enough of a network of investors that we can just wholesale it to. And um, it might be taboo some, for some people, but we've made it such a comfortable transaction, even with our title company, that it doesn't feel like we're getting one over on someone because we know the construction costs. We know the profit for the investor too on the back end. So it's a fair uh, assignment fee we charge because we also know that they're going to be repeat customers because we're, we're they're making a profit too. So everybody wins in wholesaling if you do it the right way. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the yeah. main thing uh, for new people that want to do wholesaling. You have to be, you know, a little bit um, open and honest with people. You know, if you, mm-hmm. I do get some um, wholesalers that, you know, I'm on some emailing list, but when they send me the mm. price, the price is like market value. It's like, why yes. would I buy it <laughs> from them at market value when I can just buy it on the MLS or exactly. sometimes it's higher than the MLS. You're right. <laughs> so yeah, you have to like, if you are going to wholesale a deal, you got, you have to know how much it's going to cost to fix. And then you have to just charge accordingly less. Yeah. It has to be at a discount for a, an investor to buy it from you. You're right. And the best wholesalers I see are ones that have the renovation cost down to a science because they can walk into it on the front end when they're negotiating with the seller and they can talk them down on price because the logical part of, I tell them very honestly, I say, you know, me buying your house, I'm going to have to renovate this and make a profit. If I don't win, you don't win. I have to, I can't buy this at cost and then, you know, not make money on the end. So if I'm honest with the, the seller in the beginning, I can get a discount and then I can build my assignment fee if I don't want it into the discount, you know? So, um, but then on the back end, being educated enough to talk to a buyer like you or I, I'm not going to list the property to them when they're like, Mario, you're crazy. The numbers don't work for me. So I go into it that I'm not just putting a house under contract to then have a buyer reject me. The numbers have to work for everyone involved. So I, when I go into it, I look at it from the vantage point, every, every person involved in the thing. Right. And I think a lot of people don't like wholesalers because, you know, some wholesalers don't understand these numbers. Uh, no but if you think about it, that assignment fee is saving you a lot of time because you're going to get a property at a discount and you didn't have to send marketing. You didn't have to follow up. You didn't, you know, the wholesalers are doing, you know, a lot of work up front. They so are. their assignment fee, it's worth as long yes. as the price makes sense. Exactly. Absolutely. And even sometimes we, we recently had an assignment fee where one of my sales reps and my half brother, he landed a $35,000 assignment fee in um, one of the shore points in, in New Jersey, but he connected uh, the buyer from New York City and New York City people are just used to just way bigger numbers on the purchase price, but the numbers still punched out for the guy. He And he actually was aware of the assignment fee. He wasn't upset because he knew on the back end, he could make up to $90,000 on the flip. So the assignment fee was fair. So a lot of times we don't do like blind seller assignment fees or double closes. A lot of wholesalers do to hide it. We're very open and honest with it. And also our title company, um, the person we deal with is very comfortable dealing with investors. So he can speak to buyers and sellers so they understand why there's an assignment fee and why it's fair that say Mario brokered this deal for both parties. So mm-hmm. if you have the right team, kind of like what I talked about with the rental space, it, it, on the back end with wholesaling, um, it makes life a lot easier. And it's also a, a community too. Wholesaling is like a community of a, you kind of root for each other because it's it's a tougher, it's a tougher space to be into at the same time. 
Awesome. All right. So yeah. let, let's get back to the deal. So what sure. type of facet? Was it uh, class A, B, or C? This was a class B. It was an, it's in a really good neighborhood and it was a duplex. So this woman was this, um, a re basically a tired landlord, I call her. She was older. She was on the back nine of her life and she just wanted to not be a, a landlord anymore. Uh, we originally started around 70,000, as I mentioned earlier, and I was able to talk her down to $55,000. And um, the reason being, it was a construction cost. I just explained to her when we went to the property, it needed new windows, it needed an updated kitchen on both sides. So um, by getting it at 55,000, it allowed me to do two things, uh, to either keep the property as a duplex or wholesale it out. Because I, I was able to get a, a nice discount on it. Um, so with that and being what said- was the, what was the price of the property if it was fixed up? So fully renovated, it was worth $175,000. Okay. Yeah, so 175. And so what I, what I did was I wound up keeping the duplex because I know the market. Um, I have two single family homes in this specific town. So I know the rental market. So the, the numbers just made sense. Um, one unit, we put a VA tenant in which um, is guaranteed rent from the government. It's a, a veteran. Uh, so we wound up doing a, it was a one bedroom in the front and in the back, we house hacked it. It was an originally um, a one bedroom. We turned it into a two bedroom to increase the rent to 1400. So between the two, we were, I knew going into it, we could pull around that number, like say 2,500, 2,600 a month. Um, and then when we refinanced it, I knew the mortgage would be between a thousand to like 1150 per month. So the cash flow just made perfect sense. Um, and just going a little bit above and beyond with renovations, I punched it out at 50,000. Um, other people probably could have got it done cheaper. So when I looked at it, I'm like, there's enough meat on the bone on the back end. If I wholesaled it and made $25,000 and as an assignment fee, the investor can easily fit his construction costs in and make a profit on the flip, flip of this duplex. But yeah. for me, it was a, a deal that I wanted to keep. I just said, you know what, I'm going to be selfish here. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to keep it and um, I'm going to run it out. So I did that. And I put uh, $50,000 in to make it just a really nice duplex where it prevents property management calls. Cause the worst thing is like you doing it, like kind of like, um, you know, like 75%. Okay. And then you have a bunch of service calls. So we really did a great job. We did like a tankless um, hot water heater and just made sure everything was nice in there. So uh, we rented it out. And right now I'm in the process of refinancing it. Um, it took three. So right now the banks are taking a three month seasoning period. So it's about that three month time where I submitted all the paperwork to um, start the process. Awesome. So you bought it for 55, then you put mm -hmm. 50,000. So that's 105. Mm -hmm. And you think it's going to appraise at 170? Yeah, why 170, 175? Just because the market is so hot right now. Um, duplexes probably could have the comps I've looked in like a half a mile radius they might be a little higher right now so if, if it's on that that scale I'm happy I'm more than happy right. oh that, it's that. it's an amazing deal so you're making 70,000 you know with 50,000 so it's amazing um, yes and you how, how did you pay for it did you finance it did you pay cash how does it work it's it's kind of like so it was an investor that has been investing with me for two years and it's similar to a syndication of, uh, say, a multifamily. It's just an investor. He uh, invests money with me, and I just used uh, money that we had kind of sidelined for this project. So I, I basically sent him over a formal uh, email with the property pictures. I broke down all the numbers for him, 
and uh, told him that this would be a great duplex for us. And then at this point, um, he just likes me to give him a brief overview of it. And he just says, pull the trigger, Mario. I know I already trust you. So, so you, um, this will be like a prim, uh, private money lender to you, correct? Like he gave you the money and then you pay him an interest or, or how do you do it? No. So this is actually um, an investor who invests with me. Okay. And, um, but he does, we do build in his interest only payments into the deal. So if there is, um, if he took like a HELOC loan on his house, he has interest only payments on his HELOC loan. So I make sure any deal within the budget, I have to fit his loan into it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So um, so he's not private. We're using um, essentially his equity in his house to fund the deal, but he's an investor, a private investor of mine. Right. So then once you refinance and cash out, then mm-hmm. his investment goes back and then you guys keep the property and share the equity. Correct. So with, with him, we put it into our business checking account and then we'll essentially, well, not we, I will, I'll keep scanning the market for other homes to anticipate to, to take his capital and redeploy it into another investment property. So that's kind of what the, our strategy has been is acquiring like duplexes and triplexes. And he's kind of getting to a point like myself is where we're like, let's scale into commercial, like the space that you're in. So we've been um, reading books. We've been trying to network with people that are in the, in that space because like we feel like our next step is um, he has access to a bunch of doctors and physicians. So it, it just makes sense that we can raise money easily. Um, we have the portfolio to prove that we're successful on the, you know, single family, multifamily space. So like the natural fit would be the next step, but we, we need a mentor because no, we, we are not like, it's like me talking to you, you know more about it than me. So I, in, in essence, I would come to someone like you because it just makes sense because I would lose my shirt if I try to do it on my own. Especially in multifamily, which is like a team sport, right? Like there is so yes. much to do that having a team that is going to, each one is going to take a different task, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and share the work. It's amazing. Like, you know, one day I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh, there is so much to do. And then I'm like, wait, I don't have to do anything because my team is <laughs> doing it. And I'm like loving it because normally I have to do everything when I buy yes. a single family or a duplex right. or, you know, small properties that I'm, I am managing myself. I have to do everything. The yes. phone calls, like I got a, a, a call today the toilet is not flashing so guess what <laughs> i gotta either send the handyman or you know in this case i had to send the the, the pumping company for the septic tank oh i've been there yep so you know it was such an amazing feeling to be able to to not do everything right when you're working yes. the team. so yes. that's awesome all right so um we know how you pay for it and how you found it funded and so let's talk about the the refinance the cash out refinance because i think some Mm -hmm. people are not aware that you can do this you can buy a property you can add value to it and then you can take your money out of it so so let's talk about that yes it actually feels like it it doesn't it's not real or doesn't exist but it's totally a real concept um so it's basically you're able to refinance uh right now the lenders i deal with are up to 75 percent of the home's value so to keep the numbers simple if the home is worth one hundred fifty thousand dollars, you're able to pull out 75 percent of the property value so if you own it free and clear like we use cash you're able to pull out 75 percent of the value of the home so, um, so, you know, sometimes you actually can get back more money than you put in, if that makes sense. So if you buy the home at 50 and your renovations 50, they, they will give you a little bit more on top. So we always keep it lower. We try to keep our principal pay down 
as low as possible. So we don't, sometimes we don't take out the full amount because it's not needed. So we just take out basically what we borrowed. And then from that, they essentially give it back to you and they wrap that in a 30 year mortgage. So that's how it makes sense for the, the lender. And, and from the, I always take it from the vantage point of another person. So from the lender's state of mind, it only makes sense for them to lend you money because if they lend you money, they have a first position lien on your property. So if you don't pay them, they will own a property with 30% equity on it. So mm -hmm. it's a no brainer for the bank standpoint to take possession of your home if you don't pay them. So the bank always wins in the end. So if you, if they're, if they're giving you money back, they are actually saying, you, you know what, you did a good job. This property makes sense because I want to own it if you don't pay me. <laughs> right. And and just so. to, to put a little bit of perspective on this this deal, for example, you bought it for 55, you mm -hmm. put 50,000 into it. So we are at mm -hmm. a cost of 105. Yes. It should appraise or we, you think it's going to appraise at 175, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. if we multiply, you know, 175 by 75% that you can take out, mm -hmm. you're going to be able to take out all more than what you put into the property. Exactly. Exactly. So let me, let me actually give you some, um, I'm not a mathematician, so let me see here. So it's a hundred, so, 131,000 more and less you can take out of the property if you wanted to. So the reality is what I, what I believe I get back on this specific deal, I would actually get back 113,750. And the reason After I all the exactly. So some people, and I made this mistake when I was a newbie, when I was told I'd get 75% back, I was like in my brain, I'm getting, like you said, that number 131. earlier, I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting 131 back. But the reality is you're not getting 131 back. It's closing costs, like you said, there's fees. So when I do refis, if it's ever say 75% or 65%, I always take 10% off. And I know that's the number, that's the, the area I have to be in. My playground has to be that number. So when I evaluate a home, if I can't be in that number, I don't buy the house. That's where it's very simple. But in order to come up with the number, there's two things that have to happen. You have to find the property at a good price, and then you have to know your construction costs. But I feel like the construction cost is always the, the hard part for an investor, because sometimes you can find a good deal, but you don't typically, you don't know costs of little odds and ends or what it takes. So I think that's the struggle part too, um, investors face is the renovation. And, uh, but yeah, so like, I guess the 10% off is my little own quick math I do is where I know what I'm getting back. I don't know if it's that right. Way and if it works at that point, then you get more. It works even better. Exactly. It's a win. It's it's even better. Correct. So that's why I guess when you ran the numbers, you said it's like 105, even the 113, a, a lower number, it worked. It still fit in that number. So that's why I kept it. it yeah. It I mean, you basically you put in 105 and you're getting 113 back. So it means that you are getting all your money back and any profit or any equity that you have in that properties basically all free. You have no money into it. It's an infinite return. And exactly. And if I wanted to keep the additional $8,000, say I said, you know what, I'm going to keep the 113. It's tax-free. So the additional money that you refinance out, you can keep and you don't have to pay Uncle Sam that that fee on it. So it's it's a wild concept. It's all legal. It's real. It may not make sense, but it, it's it's true. <laughs> Yeah. And and that's not even counting the cash flow. So what did you oh, say? The income is twenty five hundred a month. Yes. So wait, let me do the let me do quick math. So I know our tenant is eleven hundred plus fourteen hundred. Yeah. So we get twenty five hundred a month. Twenty five hundred a month, and that's on top of the, you know, pulling all your capital out, making about eight thousand dollar cash 
tax-free, and then you're gonna get a cash flow of income every month, 2,500. I mean, you're gonna have some turnover, but it's it's an amazing deal. It's an amazing, exactly. So I guess when you're talking an amazing deal or like a, a no-brainer deal, I keep those because I'm just like, you know what? This is a great burr deal. I'm keeping it. I'm not wholesaling it. So and, and let me correct myself. Once you get a mortgage, you are not going to keep the 2,500. Correct. Uh, <laughs> the full 2,500. <laughs> you are going to pay the mortgage. and But but it's whatever cash flow is left after the mortgage. That's, you know, it's, uh, income. And the numbers still work. Yeah, even after. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the nice thing I always try to do is time it out where I can get the, the rental property done and up and running before we refinance. So it's just a bonus income. So mm -hmm. even when they refi it, typically they give you like a month off, I'd say, where you can collect that month and then the next month you'll actually have a mortgage on it. So you can sneak a couple months in where you don't have a mortgage on it and factor that into your overall numbers. If you're looking at, you know, what's your net per year, make sure you know those type of things. Cause sometimes right. like that extra 1500, the numbers can make sense or 2500. I mean, you could, keep that money to reserve like you know there's mm -hmm. always a good idea to have some reserves on the property so you can you know rent it a couple of months build some reserves in and then you know refinance totally agree with you reserves Amazing. are so important. productivity hack all right so let's talk about your productivity hack so what okay. is that one thing that you have done in your business that has helped you scale exponentially so a productivity hack has been for me is time blocking so making sure i carve out a specific time per day where i focus on a, a task a specific task that's very important for me um, right now i have two big time blocks for me which are very important is one, getting up and getting to the gym no later than 6 a.m. So that's a time block where from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., I need that time for Mario time because it's just crazy throughout the day. So 6 a.m., I have to work out, and then I do the rest like if I meditate or if I read a book in that window. And then time blocking for work, like that's that's personal. For business is I time block every day at least three hours from like say 11 to 2 where I'll shift the time block of just cold calling um, homeowners to try to wholesale deals or find a house directly. So by time blocking, it just keeps me true to what I'm trying to accomplish in that window. So it, it, like my uh, my wife knows those three hours, like you can't bother me because I have to focus my undivided attention on time blocking that. So that's the way I've stuck, stuck to myself of making sure um, I get what I want out of that time block schedule of say cold calling um, um, you know, homeowners. If I don't do it, within a time block, I have a tendency of drifting off. So, and I feel like a lot of people do. So it, it's just a commitment you make to yourself by time blocking. That's the way I look at time blocking. I was muted. Uh, and also I hear from um, people that do time blocking and I am trying to get to the time blocking because, you know, I get interrupted a lot with the kids oh. and questions <laughs> and my husband. And like, it takes time for you to concentrate again in what you were thinking. So, yes. you know, if you get constantly interrupted, then, you know, you, you waste so much time. So sometimes I end up just waiting for the kids to go to bed and then, you know, doing more concentrated work at night because that's when I can be quiet and I can really concentrate. Um, yes. But I also hear people that they time block family time because otherwise they work way too much. Do you time block your family time? I can see that. I uh, Truthfully, I don't. And I know I will have to. That's going to be very important because, uh, you know, Andrea, uh, my wife, like I said, she 
is very important to time, family time. And she's like, you know, when we have kids, you're going to have to be here and you're going to have to be present with them. Like you, you don't have to just be here. You have to be present. And I understand that. So I think time blocking is actually going to be essential uh, by doing so. But I know I kind of prep myself too by working out in the morning versus later in the day because that would cut into family time essentially. So I agree. I think time, time blocking for family time is essential. I don't practice it right now, um, but I will. That will be a time block thing that I will add to my life because uh, I think we talked about it like yourself, like it could get chaotic. You can work a hundred hours a week because you, you love what you do and you could just work all the time, but you have to, you have to be there for your family. And, I, and I'm fully aware of that. So you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the things that I, you know, my husband is always also telling me like, you know, you love working, but you, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you know, be present, you know, like not on the phone or doing something else. So, you know, yes. I, I told him that, okay, let, let's start unblocking and let's start time block our next vacation as well. Yes. Because we want to make sure that we reserve that time to recharge and to mm -hmm. do something fun. Like the, the kids need to have some fun. We need to, you know, not work for a week. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, which is uh, impossible, but yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, so so I, I was telling him, like, let's start with the the um the vacation and then you know, then continue with like family time and date night, which is a challenge sometimes when you have kids. Yes, you I know, bet. time block a, a date night at least at, you know, some people do it once a week. I am happy if we can do it once a month. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I believe it. I'm, I'm going to be there soon. Uh, we have a newborn on the way in March. So oh, I know life's Thank you. Thank you so much. So I, I'm, I'm sure I'm, we're going to be in that same boat. Um, and we're, we're kind of preparing for that. That's why I've been time blocking my schedule working out in the morning because I'm prepared when I'm home. You know, I want to be home for, for my son and, and be there for, for my wife. So I, uh, I agree with you. I understand that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Ryan is such an amazing dad. Uh, I mm. don't give him credit uh, too much. But, you know, he <laughs> when when we had my first daughter, um, Sienna, he would come home from work and he would kind of take over the bath time and getting yeah. her ready for bed. And then we would put her to bed together. But it was just like a, one hour for me that I was like, oh, OK. You know, yeah. I don't have to take care of somebody else, uh, you know, because it's tough at the beginning, especially. Uh, so he was yeah. like 100 percent, you know, involved and it was such a supportive um, husband. That's and, you know, sometimes my mom was like, no, 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 I'll do it. I'm like, no, 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 mom, let's do it. <laughs> because when you leave, who is going to help me? <laughs> that's so true. You need, to, you need to let him, you know, do his part. I know. So yeah, that's a, it, it's funny. I, I might my, my uh, Andrea, same thing. She is uh, a workhorse just like me. And I tell her too, I was like, if you don't unplug, I'm not going to get the best version of you. So you need to let me help you clean the dishes. She wants to do everything. And I'm like, you're going to have to take some, scale something back because you're going to lose your own sanity and you need to be you. So if you're on top of everything and try to be great at it all, it's never going to work that way. So I'm, I'm trying to feed her that. So she understands that she has to have her own personal balance and personal time. Like you said, Absolutely. You I, I can easily not look at the dishes and just yes. leave them there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I get it. Expert tips. Yeah. All right, Mario. So let's talk about the three expert tips. Uh, so I wanted, you wanted to talk today about uh, three expert tips in wholesaling. So tell us about yes. that. So three expert tips, and I'll just go through all three quickly. The first one is a script. So you absolutely need a script. You need to stay true to it um, and, and constantly rehearse it and practice it. 
um, number two is very, very important is following up. Like you have to, the, the saying is fortunate as a follow-up. So if you use your script and you uh, constantly follow it with good leads, they're going to convert to sales or they're going to convert to appointments. So it's very important to have an appointment. And the third thing is just being educated on um, renovations. So really knowing the renovations where you can negotiate on the front end as well as protect the buyer on the back end. So I feel like that that renovation piece and being educated on it, um, going to YouTube University and researching it and even um, talking to contractors, it's just going to make you well-versed in the whole piece. So I think it's really your script, it's the follow-up and, and having a formal education on or some type of education on construction. Cool, but but let's let's talk a little bit about the script. Um, yes. So what what do you mean? Like, do you just they answer the phone and you just have this whole blah 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 blah, blah, blah and you spill it out all together, or do you have to kind of play it depending on what answers you get? Yeah. So there's within the script there's details. So we always keep a a baseline where you don't veer off too far to the left or to the right. So there's just four basic we call pillars. Like you have to go from the intro the property condition, their motivation, and timeline. It's very, very simple. So within the framework of that, you can add your personality and tweak it, but you need to keep them in the, the rails of that specific thing. So you have to, like we literally role-played this morning, I was with my guys, going through the intro of just sounding more in command and confident, and you sound like you're buying the house. Like a lot of the, the, the young guys I work with, they're... Um, they're not convincing me that they're buying the house. It sounds like they're very intimidated. And I'm like, people can sense that. So smile on the phone. So when I, so we, I have them practicing smiling when they, they, they pitch me on an intro, you know? So we go through the intro and then from there, it's understanding the condition and understanding, you know, the timeline and their motivation. But the one thing I, so this is my practice. We don't dive too much into price because the price makes it feel salesy. So it's really a lot of fact finding, introduction, um, getting a feel for the person. And then the follow-up call will really be like us trying to set up an appointment on the first script call into the follow-up. So we can go there and meet face-to-face -face and go through price and, and know where our leverage is and where the numbers can work out. But I always, I think one of the big taglines I always tell my guys to do is by letting the, the seller know that we may not be a good fit for them. So I always say, you know, uh, when we do the intro, we always say, you know, but we we just want to see if this is a fit for us as well. So if it is a fit, we would love to move forward with purchasing property, but we have to, you know, schedule a time to come out there or discuss more about the details of the property in order to fit for us as well as for you. Um, so by just adding something like that, it it creates a, um, a boundary that they don't think you're a typical wholesaler. So there's a lot of little quirky words that I'll use from my previous sales experience that helps people know that like we're kind of keeping them on the hook too. So they're curious to know what's going on with us, but a, another person may just shoot a crazy offer out and it's just like you, you lowballed me. So we get a lot of like, kind of like cleanup work, you know, like other wholesalers did and we clean it up, polish it, and then we package it and close the deal. So, uh, yeah. all right. And, and so how do you, you mentioned motivation. So how do you get an owner to tell you the motivation? Because I get these calls constantly you know, they yes. call me, they want to buy my property. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, so how much are you going to give me? 
like how much are you going to pay for it like did, yes. i asked them directly and it's like well you know we need to ask you a couple of questions before we know and you know mm -hmm. so how do you get from asking information about the property to their motivation so there's two i would branch it off into two ways so if someone like you your motivation may just be the property's turnkey there is really no motivation but a price so if you're a typical wholesaler I can't lowball you because there's not enough margin. So the, there's only two other options I would throw out to someone like you. It would be, um, is there a price that would, is there an offer that I can give you that would be um, lucrative enough to, to make you sell the property? And it has to be within reason and right. it can't be crazy. So if you're like, you know what, it's worth 175, I'd like to, to sell it for 175 without any realtor fees. Uh, and, I, and my rebuttal to that would be, you're speaking my language because that's right up my alley. I offer them an option that I do. Um, I actually didn't tell you about this is a, a rent to own program. So what I'll do, and I'll be very honest, it's called an assignment out that we charge. So we would, I would tell, like, I would say you like, I can get you someone that will purchase your property at 175 or actually higher, but you would, I would charge you an assignment fee. Um, the assignment fee would essentially be me finding a qualified rent to own buyer that is about seven to 10 months out of purchasing your property, I'm going to get a seven to 10% uh, commission from them on the front end to apply towards the principal, the purchase of your house. And by doing so, I'm going to take 75% of that deposit. So if the deposit say $10,000, I will take 7,500 of it. I will give a net 2,500 of it. And then I will essentially package that person to you and my mortgage lender. So they will cash you out, if that makes sense. Um, at the number that you wanted. So that's a, that's one motivation if you're not willing to budge. I know there's a lot inside of that, but that's one advanced way. That's I actually tell all my young guys, if it's something kind of crazy like that, bring it to me because I know how to handle something like that. That would be an option. The other option would be seller finance or subject to uh, where if you own it outright, I'll, I'd be willing to pay you the amount you want, but I would seller, you would have to seller finance it to me for say 30 years with a five-year cash out. Um, or subject to, if you have an existing mortgage, I would assume your mortgage, um, I would do a performance deed, I'd call it, where I would have to perform to own your property. Um, it's similar to like owning a, a, a vehicle. Like if I own a truck and I give you payment plans, after you, you pay me $2,000, I'll give you the title to the truck. So that's another form of selling somebody. Um, or if it's a distressed property owner, which is a second category. So it's like motivated by price or distressed we would have to ask specific questions of saying, like by asking them like, what, how's the property? Like what kind of conditions is it? And if they're like, oh, it's all beat up and you know, it needs a ton of work. To me, the immediate response in my brain is they should be somewhat motivated because the property is a disaster. Anything that's a headache, their motivation should be they want to sell it. I mean, I don't know, unless it's like some real emotional thing they have connected to it. But if that's the case, um, I try to dig in a little bit and say, you know, what's what's the reason why you haven't sold it to anybody? Why have you not put it on the MLS? Why have you not, why has there been no movement? So I'm not really selling anybody. I'm just fact-finding. And then by fact-finding, I just think it's got to be a solution. You got to come up with a solution. I have a situation right now where there's a person that um, just wants to sell it to me for like nothing, but they're, they're looking for a, a mobile home. So I'm looking on, I said, listen, what I can do is I can help you move out because my dad works for me, actually. So I said, my dad can help you move all your stuff out of the house and I'll help get you set up in a mobile home. But in order for me to do all that, you're going to have to sell me your house at 
I think it was like $13,000 because I was like, I'll, I'll pay off all your tax liens, but I need to get it at 13,000. And then what I'll do, I'll make sure that my dad gets all your belongings out and he'll get you set up into a mobile home. That to me was a solution. No other wholesaler is going to think of all those variables to get it done. And I told my guys, I said, just build it into the price. If you know a, a mobile home is going to cost $7,000 and uh, my dad is going to cost a hundred bucks and, you know, renting a U-Haul, build it into the price, but we have to know if we're going to wholesale it, can we wholesale it at 40,000? Because then if our cost is say 20,000, 7,000 of the cost is my dad um, moving them, buying a trailer, and then the 13,000 at least. So, you know, you got to just kind of fit things in. And I think it's just being creative and coming up with a solution. If it, that no, long, we, we, that's a long answer. I'm sorry, but I'm trying to explain. No, I, I mean, this is awesome because you are just saying, you know, like, you know, with time, you have uh, found these other solutions that match the motivation of, yes. of the person. So, like, if you were new and you only knew that you can wholesale it and they just you can just give them the money they would say no because i want to move so then with yes. time you have you know found all these different solutions that you can uh make it a win-win for both parties absolutely yeah and uh so you just gotta i always i've always thought like if you saw my office it's just a little quirky it's a little it's just a little off compared to normal people my the carpet and everything so i always use a certain part of my brain i think that has to think of a weird, something different than the, like if people zig, I zag in everything. So it's the same thing with selling. I try to do something just a little different than everybody else. Cause then it's just a little more memorable, but it's genuine too. Like I, I, I always want to put that person in a good situation, but also I have to put myself in a good situation that, you know, that's just life. But, uh, but being creative is like the, the part that keeps me in, um, engaged in wholesaling. Cause it makes me be creative, just like designing a property or flip or, something like that. So it's fun. I, I love the creativity of coming up with solutions for awesome. problems. All yes. right, Mario, it was so nice talking to you. I mean, you so much information, you know, so much yes. knowledge. I'm happy to share with my audience. If you're enjoying yes. this um, episode, don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel and, you know, put us some comments and questions for Mario. So yes. where can people find you, Mario, if they want to look for you online? So what I'm, so I've been, uh, as we talk about zigging and zagging, I've been big on TikTok recently. So let me find my TikTok handle. So I kind of migrated from Instagram to TikTok. So my TikTok is Motown2122. Motown2122. I'm going to be looking for you. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I, I am on TikTok, but I haven't done you? anything. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I've, I've been very fond of it. I, I think it's a platform where, um, good content like you have or I, it's more, I feel like it's been more scalable in TikTok. I think in Instagram, you can only plateau so much because the algorithm. So they have an interesting mm -hmm. algorithm reading about it. So I've been very big on TikTok and you could find me there. And um, I put actually pretty good content. I think that um, explains a lot of little like knickknack things to avoid or home repairs that you can do um, to, to prevent. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a good page. Awesome. All yeah. right. Thank you so much. And you, this was an amazing uh, interview. Thank you for awesome. being here. Yeah. Thank you too. This was Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, brought to you by Talee Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.taleeinvestments.com, where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.